Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church podcast. I'm so glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into a message from Pastor Roger. But before we do, I want to encourage you, connect with us online. Whether that's following us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, or it's subscribing to our YouTube page or this podcast, do it. We want to stay connected. And another great way you can connect with us is be our guest on a Sunday morning service. If you're here locally, come on out. We want to meet you and connect with you, worship with you. We'd really enjoy that. But without further ado, let's jump into this message from Pastor Roger. With a church that does everything in such great order, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm ashamed. But Hey, Celebration Church, Nampa, Idaho, it's good to be with you guys. Beautiful, beautiful congregation here in this round two of uh, Sunday morning worship. And uh, as, as Roger said, my name's Eric, my wife Kamala, beautiful lady sitting on the front row. Uh, her name is Kamala, just like our, our vice president, but she was famous before our vice president. When I, when I met, yes, uh, it, it's, it's like, come along, come here, it's Kamala, but people will pr- mispronounce it every which way, and when I first heard her name in Bible college, said it then, I believe it still today, it is the most beautiful name I know outside the name of Jesus. I love it. Her name means water lily, but I tell people it means <laughs> water buffalo, and... <laughs> And uh, she knows I'm, and we always get a good kick out of it. It's just our little joke, but other people are like, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, but this is, this is my water buffalo, my water lily, and uh, I, I'm thankful my wife is uh, able to come with me. We're glad to be in Idaho. We're from Mississippi, and uh, I want to give honor to our church family in Tupelo, Mississippi, birthplace of Elvis Presley, where we pastor the Sycamore Church. And uh, thank you guys for allowing us to come away and minister up here and be an extension of uh, ministry. And thank you guys for taking care of it at home. But uh, Roger and Kim have been a huge blessing in our lives. Like, like they said, for over 20 years, we served in the frozen tundra up in Alaska for a little while. And they were a rock for us. They were literally a staple where we went over to their house many, many nights and were just able to draw strength from them. And by strength, I mean we laughed a whole lot and were carnal and just had a good time uh, eating popcorn, homemade chocolate chip cookies, and watching, which at that time, we're ashamed to even say it now, but it was uh, this video series came out, DVD series called The 25th Anniversary of Oprah. And yeah, I'm ashamed to say it now, but all I can tell you is that all those great stories she would tell, there were some emotional tears uh, as we sat there, and they mostly came from Roger. He, he, he is a, he's a crier. No, I, I'm, the, I'm the crier, but we, th- that, that's what our, our relationship is steeped in, and we are thankful for them. You guys are blessed to have them, and we are blessed that you have allowed us to come and be with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And our kids are with us. They're in uh, uh, church kids, Oliver, Kate, and Morgan, and... Uh, they're, they're enjoying this as well. The stuff we see around y'all's church, we see the vision. We're excited about it. We're inspired. We take, we're taking notes. We're taking pictures, things that we're going to bring home. Uh, 
if you do something well, it should be replicated. If you're doing something well, it should be, and y'all are doing some things that are very well. Thank you. And we're excited about the vision that you guys have. He gave me the tour yesterday. Look behind here what y'all are planning to do. Guys, y'all got it. Y'all got it. Let's give Jesus a hand. Amen. Amen. When, when Jesus is with you, there, I mean, there is nothing, there, there's no telling what kind of impact you guys will make. Whatever you're dreaming, whatever, how big your dream and vision is, if it scares you, good. If you're like, how are we going to do that? Good. Because you did not get that dream on your own. And normally God gives a dream and you're like, I can't do that. And he goes, Exactly. I can't do that on my own. He says, exactly. That's too big for me. And, and we get afraid. And God is saying, exactly. I want you to have to do it with me. It's my brainchild. I thought of it. And that's what dreams are. That's why they're so crazy. Because they normally happen when you don't have any control. You're unconscious, asleep, and you wake up. That's what dreams do. God has given you all a great dream and great vision. And, and I'm expecting and believing for the inspiration to continue and we're watching you guys, and we're excited about what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, I don't know if they're sitting in here. Uh, I think they're in the second service, but Toby and Ellen, uh, we, we love. Come on. Woo! Let me tell you. These guys, they have a, a, a cloak about them that we, we literally want to be in their shadow. They uh, we're doing ministry in Anchorage. We would we would sit and listen and watch and 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 just learn from them. And uh, this man, he is a discipler. We were he has a way of probing questions in people as he's talking to them. I listen. We were going up to Flat Top Rock Mountain in Anchorage. We were hiking up it, and I look and he's not around. And I literally turn and he is caught up conversation with a, a backpack guy, just some teenager. And I don't know if you remember, but I came back down a little bit, and they're sitting on the rock, and I was listening to the questions, literally. And I have told our small group leaders about you, Toby. I'm not kidding. That was over 20 years ago. And great small group, connect group facilitators are able to ask questions that, like, open up people. And he is great at that, and, and I, I love both of them. So glad that they are here, and y'all are blessed to have them. All right. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, uh, Jordan uh, Hampton, who, for communicating with me through. Through uh, where's Jordan? All right, sister. A name with the a face with the name and the emails, and uh, she sent the the great preface email about my preferences. I forget what they call that when celebrities want uh, their water at a certain temperature and this, that, and the other. And I thought I'd throw some stuff in there, and none of it shook her. I was like, all right, we'll go with it. She's like, what are your favorite snacks? And I started out with, you know, M&Ms, this, that, and the other. And by the end, I had said lobster tail, shrimp scampi, and the best tacos this town can offer. Because there's a place here I've eaten at a couple years back that had some incredible tacos. And, uh, and then she wanted to know what kind of drinks I like. And I threw some stuff in there and didn't shake her a bit. So I don't know if we'll get them, but uh, I, I'm thankful for you, Jordan. Thanks for the commu communicating and uh, the accommodations, the gift basket, all of that, the hospitality that you guys are thinking of people's needs before they even knew it was a need. That's what hospitality is. Hospitality is to serve people in such a way that when we got in the room and there's things there in the basket, we're like, I forgot we even liked that. They thought of it. That was awesome. That 
That's awesome. And when people come to this church and you serve them with excellence of hospitality and they leave and they're like, did you see that thing in the bathroom? Let's put that in our bathroom. We're not, that's, that's what hospitality is. So thank you, Celebration Church. All right, can we jump into the Word of God this morning? I'm going to read one verse of Scripture out of Acts chapter 26, verse 28. And they're going to have it up on the screen, or you can have your glow-in-the-dark Bible, or you can have your leather-bound Bible, uh, whichever it is. And it just simply says, Agrippa interrupted him. And he said, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Everybody say persuade. The King James Version, uh, we'd use it, but sometimes it's just difficult to read it. But it says it well, and it says, almost you persuade me. Almost, Paul. And today I want to talk to you all about, in the second round, almost, the difference between almost. The difference between almost. Do any of you remember the 2008 Olympics with Michael Phelps and he was going for the world record of the most decorated gold medals? And of course we as any individual, not the country, but as an individual getting the most gold medals. And as, as a country, we were rooting for him. We, I remember not even enjoying swimming or, or, or at least watching the Olympic sport, but now all of a sudden the, the world is looking in, right, on Michael Phelps, this guy with a, a six-foot-eight wingspan. Like when he stretched his arms out, six-foot-eight is like an albatross. And this guy swimming was about to get the, the most gold medals ever. And in the butterfly... He wins by one one-thousandth of a second. And I remember the aerial view, literally, I remember watching that race in the aerial view as they came up to the wall, and it looked like the guy to his side, right in the next lane, had won. And we were like, oh, man, that crushed his dreams. But thank God for instant replay, right? And the underwater cameras and the sensory pad that's at the end of the pool. And it showed Michael Phelps' long arms as close as it was. He did not give up. And he touched the pad one one thousandth of a second before and won the gold medal. And we were like going crazy. Do you all remember that? And then there was the, the, the second guy, the guy that almost won the gold medal. And his name was, um, come on, you... You know, remember his name, the guy that came, got the silver gold medal, stood on the podium. You guys, no, we do not remember his name. We don't, you can look it up, you can research it, you can Google it, you'll find it. But in this moment, like literally right now, I do not remember his name because we don't remember people that almost got the gold medal. They're not stories. You know, he's reiterating this over and over to his family, and he's saying, I almost won the gold medal. And they're like, son, we love you, but you did not win the gold medal. You are, we're more proud of you than anyone to have gotten the silver medal. And he replays it over in his head. And I'm sure he thinks about the turnaround and when he kicked off the wall. And if I would have pushed a little harder, I would have not only won the gold medal, but I would have crushed and thwarted the dreams of Michael Phelps. People would have remembered me no matter how he replays it. 
He's still second place and he almost won. Almost is what I'm talking about. The difference between almost is silver and gold. And there's a great difference of value there. The the scripture talks about in Kings that King Solomon, that silver was of such abundance. There was a time when it almost had no value. It It was just a secondary alloy. The difference between silver and gold is the difference of almost. And the context here that King Agrippa is saying in Acts 26, verse 28, is Paul is under arrest because he's been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Jews don't like it. They're upset with him. They make false accusations about him. They uh, get him imprisoned, and the governor of the province here, his name is Festus. And the custom was, well, it just so happened that King Agrippa was coming into this province, and Festus wanted to show King Agrippa a particular case at hand and wanted his input on it. And so, if you remember the story of Jesus, his night of betrayal and trial, he was brought before King Herod, and the whole thing was really just a a showcase of entertainment. Show us one of your miracles. Can you do a miracle for us? And the same is happening here, that one leader is making a showcase of entertainment for another leader, and Festus has King Agrippa, a guest, King Agrippa, is visiting with his It's just a side note, but it's this weird little history. If you look into it, King Agrippa's wife was his sister. Just like this weird, strange relationship. Her name was Bernice. Odd thing going on between he and his sister, and he's come in to visit. And King uh, uh, Festus says, King Agrippa, while you're in town, thank you for visiting. I kind of like to show off some of the things we're dealing with here. And one of them is a prisoner by the name of Paul. And Paul has, he's pushed his trial and his case up to Caesar. That's how important this has gotten. And I'd like to get your feedback on it. And so they bring in Paul to stand before King Agrippa, who has the ability of life or death in his hands. He's sitting on his throne. He's sitting in his cloak. He's got the garments of authority on. And he is listening and going to give Paul the apostle a chance to give his defense, his last statement, this is it, Paul. You've got one chance to tell us what went on here. And of course, if we were in this position, you've been in trouble before. You've you've had that opportunity where you're before someone with the power, and they said, what happened? And what we'll do is we immediately begin to project blame. We're like, it's their fault. If, if, it, it, it wasn't anything I did. It was, it was my sister's fault. It was my brother's fault. It was because my dad did this. It was because my mom did this. That police officer, he was having a bad day. It was not my fault. We're just projecting in defense that it's always someone else's fault. And Paul has this opportunity right here, right now, to make his defense. To, to tell what happened. We were doing Burton Spring Training at, in... Um, in the spring of all, all times. Spring training in the spring. And my, my two sons, we have a little girl in the middle, but Oliver and Morgan, Oliver was catching. We're at the baseball field. Morgan is up to bat. He's five years old. He's so cute. He's got his bat. Y'all know what it looks like when you're, you're teaching your kids the 
the, the passage of manhood from boyhood to manhood, they've got to learn to play baseball. And he's got his bat, and I'm at the mound, and I throw overhanded to my oldest son. We're throwing underhand to him. And we're tossing it to him, and, and they're coming right down the middle. He's swinging with such confidence, and he's, he's rocking it. And I'm like, all right, Morgan, way to go. But I pitched one by accident <clears throat> that came in close. And you all know what that looks like. If you've seen the, the major leagues do it, you've done it, you've been up to bat, and, you, and boy, you look confident. Dude, you got, it, it's, you got the duck tail out, knees are bent, and whatever you do. I mean, there's so many stances. It's on the shoulder, and, and there's the one you stand back like this, and there's the one where you lift the leg up. All these stances, they're confident. I'm going to knock this ball. Bring the big stinky cheese, the Sandlot says, right? And he's standing up there, and, and I pitch it, and it came. I'm talking underhanded, and it came too close. And it looked like what we've done, like we stepped into to a spider web and we're like I mean there's a there's a spider on me that's what he looked like and from that point on after that here's the home plate where he came up confidently now he's stepping back and I said Morgan scoot in what are you doing and I didn't know exactly what had happened just yet and I said get in because I did not hit him with the baseball and I said Morgan what are you doing bud and only as a loving, kind father can do how they get onto their kids when their aspirations are that. If you don't get this now, you're never going to get in the major leagues. Come on. Get in there, boy. This is it. I'm the greatest coach in the world. Stand up there. And I said, what happened? Well, what are you doing? I said, what are you doing? He said, and he's about to cry. That little five-year-old, that little lip, it, it, you know what it looks like. It pursed up. And he said, you almost hit me. And I said, and it wasn't a sentimental moment. It wasn't like, oh, but I'm sorry. You're right. Come here. Let's just come here. Come on. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you almost hit me. I said, did I hit you? He said, no. I said, we're going to do this again. Did I hit you? No. You know, I said, I did not hit you. I almost hit you. And because I almost hit him, he would not get in the game anymore. He, he stepped back from home plate. Confidence, gone. Security, gone. And there are some things that happened to us that almost happened that took us out of the game of life. It, it took you out of, of doing what you wanted to do. Big dreams, but something almost happened. It was scary enough, and it didn't happen, but it almost happened, and you were afraid of what could have happened, and so you, you jumped back. You stopped swinging. Almost is where King Agrippa is when Paul is talking to him. And Paul has the opportunity to, to, to save his life in King Agrippa's hands or life and death. And he says to Paul, tell me, tell me why you're here. Why are you a prisoner? And Paul, you got to know this guy. He's brilliant. He's like been taught by the best lawyers. He is a zealot of religious law, civil law. He knows the law. And he knows who he's standing before. He's standing before King Agrippa. And there is history that he has with King Agrippa. He knows this. And he's going to take his opportunity to give his defense. And if you look at Acts 26, this is Paul's defense. You've got one chance to save your life. One chance. One shot. And he stands before King Agrippa. And instead of saying, well, what had happened was, see, these people over here, they don't even like me because they hate us. 
He, he, wasn't, he wasn't blaming defense on the Jews. He wasn't blaming anybody. He wasn't casting blame on a family member that the reason I'm like this is because so-and-so. Look, digress. The scripture says, Ephesians 2 and 10, that you are the masterpiece of God. He said you were created to do great things since the beginning that he planned for you. You know that you were planned, you were created to do good things. I know people do bad things, and I'll see them. They'll, they'll come before me, and they're like, you know, that's all I know. See, that's, I, that's how I was raised. I, that's, I was born in the hood. I, I'm from the hood. I grew up in the hood, too. And you're like, really? You got a blazer on. You got some khakis on. Got a plaid shirt. You don't dress like our pastor. I did. I thought, I'm just going to wear a T-shirt like Pastor Raj and just. <laughs> I don't have a tattoo like Pastor Raj. I wish I did. I might get one now. I, I mean, but I grew up in the ghetto too. I grew up homeless in the back of a car. We knew what welfare was. I was very closely associated to welfare and bad behavior and drugs and promiscuity and all that stuff. I, I've seen, I was going to the laundromat with the grocery cart at like six years old in New Orleans, pushing the grocery cart full of dirty clothes down the sidewalk when I saw this guy riding this motorcycle. And I was like, oh, went to the laundromat on the way home, saw the same guy laying in the grass with a hole in his chest because the guy shot him because he wouldn't get off his motorcycle. People are like, I grew up in the hood. My dad, he did this. My mom did this. That's why I do this. That's why, that's why I'm pushing pills. That's why I'm doing drugs. That's why. And you're like, that's all fine and dandy. I understand. But that's not what you were created for. Well, my daddy taught me that this is the only way I know how to treat women because I saw my dad and they're like, no, wow, 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 you know. Just, just. And it's a big old crutch that people don't want to do what is greater in their life because they would rather use the excuse in their life. And the scripture says you are the masterpiece of God. No matter where you came from, you were created to do good works. Every one of you. God's got a great purpose for you. A great plan. And Paul's like, I'm not going to blame this on anybody. I'm going to tell you what happened. It's God's fault. He's got one chance to save his neck. And he says, I was... I was a zealot of zealots. I, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I loved the word of God. I was killing Christians because they were speaking against the word of God. It was blasphemous. And I would get letters to go and capture them, throw them in prison, split up families, execute them. I saw them stoned. I saw them killed. I held the coats, and I was proud of it. I, I saw people lose their lives because of my ambition for God, when one day this same God, now he's talking to King Agrippa, of all the stories he can tell, he tells this one. He tells his story of how Jesus saved his life. And he says, I was going on the road to Damascus with letters in hand to capture more Christians when Jesus himself shone down out of heaven, smote me to the ground. I was blinded for three days. He converted me from Saul to Paul. He gave me purpose and calling and said, you will preach to the Gentiles. You will have the mystery of the gospel. I am going to show you things, Paul. It was amazing. What happened to him, and he's telling King Agrippa why he's in prison, is because Jesus Christ saved me. You know what he uses for his defense? His story. His testimony. And, and we're doing this sermon series right now at, at, at the Sycamore in, in Tupelo uh, called Your Story. And we, our, our little subtitle is, everybody's got a story, you just have to know how to tell it. You all have a story. 
You were all created to do good things. From the beginning, God has a plan, had a plan, still has a plan for you. And I know it got off course, and I know it got off track. You got a story. You just got to know how to tell it. But we don't like telling our story because we heard somebody else's story. And their story, wow, that was an incredible story. They had the privilege of standing up here and telling their story. And it made people cry. And you go, wow, I don't have a story like that. My life was never broken up and tore up like that. I don't have that kind of abuse physically or sexually or uh, emotionally or verbally in my life. I had a pretty good childhood, so you don't think you have a story. You got a story. The, another person, they tell their story, and they got you laughing, and they're a great communicator, and they're like, you're like, wow, what a storyteller, what a testimony. And you, 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 you stop writing your story. When the truth is, you're not the author of your story. We know who the author and the perfecter or the finisher of our faith story is. That's Jesus Christ. But we, we don't tell our story because it's not as good as someone else's. Let me tell you, people need to hear your story of how Jesus saved you. It was a moment in the car. You were given up. You were, you, you, you were done with church. You were done with your marriage. You were done with this business. You were done. And someone sent you the podcast of Pastor Roger preaching this last Sunday or, or, or you turned on the radio and, and, and there was a song there. Or you passed a billboard. It's the craziest things that get us to God. It's someone we met in, in the store, in the, in the line, and the way they said something. And Paul, he is trying to save not his neck, and we don't even realize it yet, but he is telling his story to save the neck of someone else. Paul... Tell me what happened here. Why are you in prison? And he begins to tell the story of Jesus. Let me tell you, if you ever backed in a corner and you don't know what to do and people are, have got you right in the crosshairs, the best story is to tell your story of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. If you ever feel like the devil's got you up against the ropes and you're like, it's over now, friend, begin to tell the story of Jesus. If you ever feel like I'm in a corner and they've got me and it's over now, begin to testify of the goodness of God, of how he brought you up, brought you out, put you back together, saved your marriage, restored your life, redeemed you, put your mind and heart back. To tell about Jesus. That's the best story in the world. And Paul, of all the things he could tell, this guy, oh my goodness, Paul He's got like the equivalent of three Ph.D. degrees. Could you imagine what he could talk about? And yet he tells us, he says, I would take everything I have gained and if I, everything I've acquired and everything I've learned and put it in a pile, it is like a pile of manure compared to knowing him. I would rather just know him. Me standing before you, King Agrippa, right now in chains, it is better than everything I have ever acquired in life. And boy, he is preaching. I used to hate Paul because Paul, he was like this, he was this character you couldn't catch. He was, he was I thought he was slimy and sleazy. And, and if he was with the Jews, he talked to the Jews and he's like, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I, I, I've kept all the law. Nobody is greater than me in keeping the law. It's me. When he's with the Romans, he was a Roman. But the scripture, he says of himself, I was all things to all men. And when he says this, he means it, that I might save some. Everything I do is not to save me, it's to save you. He says, literally, in the scriptures, I would rather be lost that you might be saved. 
He is not trying to save his neck. I always was, I would read as a young man about Paul, and I was like, this guy, he is slippery. He's sleazy. Until I realized he's not trying to save his neck. He is standing before King Agrippa, and he has the opportunity to save his life when we realize he's not trying to save himself. He's trying to save King Agrippa. And he looks at King Agrippa, and he says to him, he says, I know that you... You've heard about this before. And he's telling his story when Festus, the governor, says, Paul, you are crazy because of much learning. You have gone mad. And Paul suddenly steps up and he replies. He says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is the sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. And I speak boldly, for I'm sure these events are all familiar to him. King Agrippa, you know what I'm saying is true, that the God of the Jews anointed a man, Christ Jesus, robed himself in flesh to die for humanity. That Jesus rose from the dead. He is the one that has called me to preach to the world. And you know this to be true. And he says, do you believe the prophets? This is the, this is the question of truth. This is where almost comes in. Do you believe everything I'm telling you, King Agrippa? I know that you know our history. And I'm not trying to save my own neck. I am preaching the gospel of Jesus so that you might be saved. And King Agrippa replies to him as we read, Oh, Paul, you're a slick one. He says, You almost persuaded me to be like you. You almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Imagine how awesome Paul is that he could do this. He's in chains, in prison garb, standing before a king that's on his throne in, in, in royal garb. And this king almost gets up and changes clothes with him and switch spots. And he says, you almost persuade me to be like you. You have almost, your story was that awesome. But something has happened in King Agrippa that... This is the word almost. Almost is all. It's all of most. I, I, he, he was saying, I give you all of most of my life. That's how we as Christians are, aren't we? I'll give you all of, of most of this heart of mine. I'll give you all of most of my thoughts. I'll give you all of most of my actions and we're almost committed. We're almost a Christian. We're almost all in. We're almost died in the wool. We're, we're almost a Christian. I like some parts of it. I like this part of it. I like that part of it. But I don't know about almost. All, being a Christian is not about being a part of Celebration Church or the Sycamore Church. All, being a Christian is not just about us attending on Sunday service. Being a Christian is a belief that transforms and changes your activity and actions in life to the point that what you used to do, you don't do anymore. Uh, being a Christian, it, it is about falling in love with Jesus so much that he does something in your life. And before you to throw punch somebody because they did something, and now you're like, you, are, you better be glad. You got a mouthful of teeth because Jesus, he has changed me. It's not because you better be glad I go to the celebration church, which we want you to. No, you, you ought to have seen me before Jesus found me. 
Come on, anybody got that story? Come on. And, and, and knowing that I am in love with him. I, oh, Paul says in Romans, how many of you have heard this verse of Scripture? I digress a moment. He's speaking to Romans where Caesar is, is the ruler. Anything against Caesar is blasphemy, is treason. And Paul says in Romans, if you confess openly, publicly with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So we in America, especially in the South, I, I, I'm from Mississippi, it's the Bible Belt. Y'all think y'all got a lot of churches in Nampa? No. I tell people we're the fastest growing church on our street. I'm not kidding. We got four churches I could throw a rock at on our street. We are the belt buckle of the Bible belt. And if we say, hey, you're a Christian, they're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Honk if you love Jesus. People would be honking everywhere all the time. We love Jesus. People got the bumper sticker. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Woo! Everybody's a Christian. In Rome, where Caesar is king, and you say Jesus is Lord, meant your neck was getting stretched. So we want people to believe in Jesus, not in the context of what this is. We're just like, well, it's popular. It's pretty cool. I mean, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Let's all be a Christian. That church, that's cool. I like the, I like the way that church looks. I believe in Jesus. It is a belief that is so deeply rooted, it changes you. You are willing to give up the time and the place where government would persecute you if you said you loved Jesus. And this is the kind of Paul, this is the story he is telling where his name to believe in this story I'm telling you. And he says, you almost persuade me. Something, something happened in King Agrippa. So something perhaps happened in him before where he didn't like the way he was treated by the Christians. Or he saw something from these people called Christians. I, I don't know what it was, but all I know is he almost was persuaded. He, he almost got hit with the baseball Something almost happened to him, and we almost commit. We almost step forward. We almost, I'm, I'm, no, nah, I can't. I'll give you all of, of most of me. But then we, we have this flag in our head, and oh, I remember. Mm, mm -hmm. See, my story, part, just part of my story, I don't even tell it as a victim anymore because I'm a victor. Come on. I, I, I could tell you some of my story, and there aren't to be any tears. I'm telling you the side of the story on the other side where God kept me. And Roger and Kim, they were with us in this storm at times. And we were hurt by people in the church, and people said things that, that's not, no, whoa, 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 that's not the context in which I said it. None of y'all have ever been there. Oh, I was misrepresented on social media. That's not what I meant. And these are supposed to be brothers and sisters. And something almost happened to you and you couldn't be persuaded. Some, something happened to us and, and now we won't commit to marriage because my heart was hurt. I, I almost got hurt. I almost got a broken heart. I'm scared now. 
I, I, almost, got, I almost got in a, in a plane crash, and it could have happened, but I don't fly anymore. I almost had a successful business, but we almost failed, and so we're, we're afraid now. There are a lot of almost in our lives that we are not doing simply because something almost didn't happen, didn't get hit, we almost got hit. Almost, almost got hurt, and it scared us to death. And we almost didn't start the Sycamore Church because we have seen statistically how so many churches have fallen. And my wife and I, we said to each other, why would we start a church when men and women literally greater than us have started churches and it, it didn't, didn't fly? We look at other churches that have blown up and we're like, what are they doing that is making them successful to have such an impact on the community? What are, and we didn't think we could do that. And we almost didn't start the Sycamore Church because of fear that we might fail. And that's what the devil wants to do to you. He wants you to just think about the almost. He wants you to think about what almost happened, what might happen. And that almost is always a lie. Because it's not true. It did not happen. And King Agrippa says, oh, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. But I can't. I can't, I can't do it. And Paul is looking at him and he's saying, I'm not trying to save me. You're the one that needs to be saved. We were almost, almost there. So many people almost there. Let's, let's look at Psalms and I'm about to close up here. The book of Psalm 73. This is a great, I like this. Maybe you'll find yourself here. The psalmist says here, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. How many of you love people that have a pure heart? You're like, man, they're just, they just got a pure heart. They're innocent people. Everything, I bet they don't have a bad thought in their life. I bet there's not one malicious motive in them. They're just pure, just great Christians. And then the next verse, he says, took my glasses off, I could put them back on. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. God loves those of a pure heart. But as for me, how many have ever been there? Y'all are great Christians, but as for me, as my son likes to say it, I was built different. I built, I'm just built different. You know, I know skinny jeans look good on some people, but I'm just built different. I wish I could wear skinny jeans. It's not in my jeans. I just can't. And I think they look cool. I'm just built different. That's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying God loves those of a pure heart, but I'm built different. As for me, I'm not always pure. My thoughts, my actions, my motives, my intentions, they're not always pure. And he said, I almost slipped. I, my feet were almost gone from me. My feet were slipping. And if you've ever seen someone that slipped, it's not a beautiful choreographed ballerina move. It, whatever it takes to get your footing back, you will do it. You don't care who's around and you lost some cool points. And afterwards, you might be like, you know. But when you are slipping, you will grab onto anything with anything. Whoever's around you to grab on. And this man is trying to hold on to God, but he is slipping. I'm not pure of heart. I know you love the pure of heart, God. But as for me... Mm. I'd almost become a Christian, but I'm not, I'm not good. 
I'd almost become a Christian, but I, I, I don't have things together in my life. How many people have heard that one? You invite them to church and they're like, when I get things together, I'm going to come. When I get my marriage back, when I, when I get my life back, you're like, the reason you don't have it together is because. That's right. The, the reason you don't have it together is because you've not given it to Jesus. You can't do it on your own. You've got it all backwards. Come on. You've got it backwards. You, you can't do it. Get it together and then come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and he helps you get it together. And he says, I, I, I was almost gone. My wife and I, we were almost gone. We almost gave up on this thing called church. We almost gave up on ministering. I didn't want to preach again. Every time I preached, I was pushing the envelope and I got in trouble. Every time I preached, I was trying to take authority from myself and give it to people and say, if you would read God's word, you will find freedom. And there were people that, oh, no, 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 no. You don't put the power in their hands. No, 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 no. Don't let them be Christians. You need to hold on to this and make sure that the rules are tight. And every time I preached, I found myself getting in trouble. And I'm like, I'm done. I, I'm done if this is what it's about. And how many of you have, well, maybe you haven't. Maybe, maybe you've never disciplined your children. And they said, I hate you. Because all of you do, do the right thing in parenting. And your, and your child says, I hate you. And they're mad. And you look at them, and they, never, they can never understand the love you have for them until, of course, they have children. And you look at them in all their anger. You say, you be as mad as you want to. I love you too much to let you continue just staying on this route. And I was so mad at God, I almost gave up. But as stubborn as I was, God's more stubborn. I'm thankful for the grip of grace and where we were almost gone. He says, I will not let you go I would not be here today standing here, opportunity to preach the gospel. If God had not come through, my feet had almost slipped. I was almost gone. Almost gone. As I close up and the worship team comes back, the psalmist says in 73, same psalm, verse 23, Verse 24, he loves those of a pure heart, but as for me, I'm built different. I'm not like that. I wish I was. Oh, man, I wish that my walk with Christ was, was like yours. And some of you, you're like, I'm, I'm not coming to God. I can't be a Christian because I'm not good like that. That's not what it's about. It's not about you. It's about him. Come on. Somebody say amen about that. But he says, in all of that, verse 23 Yet I still belong to you. How many thankful you belong to God in the mistakes? I still belong to you. Regardless of what happened on Friday night. I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Leading me to glorious destiny. I wish I was like that. I was almost gone. But the difference between almost is literally heaven and hell. The difference between almost is silver and gold. The difference between almost is an eternity with Christ or an eternity without Christ. And I know things have happened to all of us. Again, we all have a story of something that happened, someone that happened to you. 
And you could easily use that as a crutch as to why you can't be a part of this. Whatever this is, the, the body of Christ. It would be easy to do that. But let me tell you, we've all had it happen. And we would try to even avoid it. I wish some of the things that had happened to my wife and I, we think back and go, if we didn't make that move. If we had, how many have ever done that? And retracted and re, retraced all your steps. If we didn't do this, maybe, and God told me one day, he said, it didn't matter what you did, you were going through it. You going through that. Avoid it all you want. Run all you want. You going through it. If you want to be where I want you to be and have the calling of God and the anointing and the power and the opportunity, if you want to draw close to me, you going through it. Well, you can run from that city all you want. You can leave that church all you going through it. And when I realized that, didn't matter how much I was trying to run or I was almost gone, God had a hold of my right hand. Oh, that we would not be like King Agrippa and almost, I, I almost won the gold medal. I, I almost, you almost persuade me to be like you. It wasn't Paul's fault. He did a good job. It was Agrippa's fault. It's something got in his way. And I ask you this morning as we close out, is there, simply, is there anything in your way? Some, some offense, something that happened, some obstacle, some obtrusion that's, that's in front of you, I'd, I'd do it, but mm, this, is, this choice is connected to a fault back. This choice right here reminds me of a time I almost got hit. This, this reminds me of a time I almost won and I lost, so I'm never going to do it anymore. What you got? Where are you at? What, what are you... All of most giving to God. What, what, what is it that, that you've given all of most of this? This is a safe part. I could give him that. But today I'm encouraging you as we close out that you would give God everything. I mean, just give it to him and watch him do something better with it. Would you stand with me this morning? Or now this afternoon. And y'all are in this sermon series called Altars. I love this. My day, Toby and Ellen, y'all know, we had this thing called altar calls. And boy, were they altar, because the pastor would keep calling until somebody came. <laughs> I feel like there's someone. There, there's one, but I feel like we all, that, that's the one we, I feel like we all should just come on down here. I'm not going to force anybody to do that today, but this is free real estate. I mean, there's no charge to come down here. You can pray where you are, right in your seat, but I do believe there needs to be a moment like where Paul asked King Agrippa, do you believe what I'm telling you? And I hope that you will not be like King Agrippa and say, oh, almost. You almost got me. You almost persuaded me to be, come on, get all in. Jesus, I give you my heart, my mind. I give you my feet, my hands, the words, my endeavors, my dreams, my ambitions, my business opportunities, 
my relationships, I, I give you that. My, my early mornings, my late nights, my relationships and dating, I give you all of that. My choices, I give you that. The things I've acquired, I give you the things I've saved up, I give you that. And especially my fears, I give you that. I'm about to pray. They're going to join in worship and sing. But as I pray, if you want to come, we'll pray with you. We, we don't have to lay hands on you. If you don't want, we will. But the altar is symbolic of a place that you would lay something and you left it there. Like you left it. You did not take it back with you. It was meant to be consumed. And I'm encouraging you today, literally and proverbially, come lay it on the altar. I'm giving you all. Don't let your story be, I almost, when we get before God, I almost, oh. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and this beautiful group of people. And there, there may be some that's visiting for the first time. There may be some that they, uh, they've been on the fence for quite a bit. Don't let our story be almost. Jesus, you've done too much good for us. To jeopardize a little bit of what almost happened by someone or something. You, you're faithful. You're consistent. You are good. And today that hearts would be open and that lives would be given. That transformation would be made. That I'm giving you all, Jesus. We open up this altar. We open up our hearts. We open up that there would be liberty in this place to come to you. And that there would be life transformation this moment in Jesus name in Jesus name hey I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to today's podcast if you want to learn more about Celebration Church I'd encourage you to go to our website www.thecelebration.church to find out more well we love you guys and let's continue to love God love people and change the world